welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Nittany Lion fans? Welcome to the post-game pod following Penn State's 46-10 victory over the Ohio Bobcats. So, Vince, this was a crazy weekend of college football, and I know that we have a lot to get into. So, what were your overall thoughts on this game against the Bobcats? Yeah, it was great to be back in Happy Valley, tailgating. We got very lucky with the weather that it was a noon kickoff and not a night game because it was nice and warm versus raining later in the day. So we were definitely very fortunate there. A big win for Penn State. A lot of things went right. We have been debating about whether Penn State should be a ranked team, and they certainly looked like a ranked team yesterday. That's right, yeah. And uh, at the time of recording, Penn State has been named the number 22 team in the country by the AP voters. Uh, So they're going to be a ranked team going into Auburn next weekend. Uh, You know, I think it, they definitely, um, you know, looked more the part of a ranked team after this victory and the last one against Purdue. And I think they got helped out a lot by an absolutely insane weekend of college football with a couple of highly ranked teams going down to Sunbelt teams and a couple of other ranked teams losing in the likes of Houston and Wisconsin. So all that just kind of came together as a perfect storm. But uh, yeah, you know, I think that my general thought on this game is that Penn State did exactly what they needed to do. You know, they controlled the game from beginning to end. They got out to an early comfortable lead, kept Ohio at arm's length, uh, didn't really uh, let them back into it in any way. And they were able to get some of their freshmen out there. So I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about that here uh, over the course of this pod. But uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's important for us to not take for granted uh, a somewhat you know, stress-free game against a Mac opponent like this when you've got Notre Dame losing to Marshall and Texas A&M losing to App State, like kind of puts this win into perspective a little bit. Yeah, it definitely makes you feel good that you're not one of those two programs. And it's college football is crazy right now. And it's really going to be exciting going forward because I was looking at the the slate for week two and I was like, ah, none of these games are really going to be good. And there was some some late heartbreak in the fourth quarter. Alabama was just barely able to escape Austin, Texas with uh, playing against their backup quarterback for the majority of the game. So definitely a lot of madness going on in this early in this football season. But going into our next segment, Andrew, to go over this game, this next segment is called finish the sentence or fill in the blank. So I'm going to give you a statement. And then you're going to give me a one word answer and explain to me why you ready for this. Yeah, this sounds exciting. Let's get into it. All right. So our first statement is the offensive line is blank. Okay. I say, okay. You know, I think that they're doing an okay enough job at this point in uh, both pass protection and in run blocking. I think that Penn State still has some struggles uh, running between the tackles, which is why Nick Singleton is kind of exploding onto the Penn State, uh, onto the Penn State scene as much as he did yesterday, uh, running to the outside. So, you know, overall, I don't think they're playing atrociously. I think they could be playing better, but, you know, I think uh, it's going to be a big test for them uh, down the stretch. So I would hope that we're going to see some improvements overall, but I can't say that they're playing badly enough for them, for me to say that they're like a bad unit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was thinking uh, my word was going to be mediocre because they're kind of doing well enough to get by, but it's kind of ugly, especially on the right side of the line. I do feel like the left side's a little better, but they were giving uh, Sean Clifford some fits uh, in some of those plays earlier in the game. Yep. Fair enough. All right. Speaking of Sean Clifford, Sean Clifford is blank. Starting. You know, I think uh, Sean Clifford is the Penn State starter. And, you know, there's a lot of hype and a lot of conversation around Drew Aller, and all of it is much deserved. But at this point in time, Sean Clifford has not done anything to lose that job. 
And I mean, I have a couple of notes here that I want to talk with you about uh, regarding Drew Aller. But at this point, you know, Sean Clifford, he is the leader. You know, this is his team. Uh, he hasn't thrown a handful of picks in either game, you know, aside from that one uh, really badly overthrown ball in the Purdue game. But, you know, he knows the offense. Uh, he's got obviously excellent rapport with James Franklin. So, uh, you know, I think as Drew continues to impress as the backup when he has his chances, his leash gets a little bit shorter. But for now, I think. I still think that Sean is firmly entrenched as the starter. All right. My word, uh, Sean Clifford is underappreciated. How many fan bases will want the backup quarterback to start when their quarterback is the co-off at big 10 offensive player of the week? Like how often does that happen? Yeah, it's crazy. I, I mean, it, this is really something unprecedented, you know, at, I think, you know, it's just all credit to Drew for just living up to the expectations this early on. But yeah, I mean, I completely agree The Sean Clifford got it done against Purdue. He put up big numbers. Uh, he did a really good job executing when he needed to. So it is crazy that we're in this situation or just in this scenario uh, as a Penn State fan base. Yeah, he's he's done great. Had four touchdowns in the first contest. A uh, lot this week played mistake free football was 19 for 27 for 213 yards and a touchdown. So I thought he did great. Our next statement, Drew Alar looks like Josh. He looks like Josh as in Josh Allen. Uh, you know, this kid, it, he moves around in the pocket very well, has a lot of presence there. He uh, was able to navigate a couple of moments when the pocket was breaking down, but he was kept keeping his eyes downfield. Uh, and that really showed in that one pass uh, in the end zone to Amari Evans, which was, uh, you know, I think it was both of their, uh, both players first touchdown as Nittany Lions. So that was really cool to see, especially because that happened in the end zone where we were sitting Vince. But yeah, I mean, Drew just looks like the real deal. You know, he, came in with a ton of expectations and a lot of hype around his arm talent, uh, just how much strength he has in his passing abilities and just everything in between. And, uh, you know, James Franklin noted after the game that uh, he, it looks like the game is already slow for him. And I think that's a very true statement. You know, he looks like, uh, you know, he's very comfortable in those situations. Um, you know, he's uh, just making the most of his opportunities to be quite honest. So I'm going to say, Josh, I think that's a great word, and that's something we've compared him, someone who we've compared him to several times on this podcast. And I was talking to one of my buddies the other day, and he was making a comment about like, "Oh, you say he looks like Josh Allen, so that's true." I'm like, "Oh, you're just listening to me, some guy on a podcast," and <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, you're supposed to be the best, the expert." I'm like, "Oh, I, ha I have heard like analysts say that uh, Drew Allard does remind them of Josh Allen, and I I think he certainly looks the part, but." That was something we joked about when we were watching some games later in the day. My word for Drew Alar yeah. is Drew, Drew Alar looks like a veteran. He is so poised when the pocket collapses. His eyes are always down the field, which is what you want your quarterback to do. Uh, for example, when we watch the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, he is always running, it seems like. He feels that pressure and he bolts up the field. Drew Alar is his eyes are down the field the entire time, even under you know pressure and when he's about to be hit. So I think that's really impressive for someone who is as young as he is in his freshman season. All right, our next question or statement. Penn State's quarterback controversy is non-existent. This controversy exists in the minds of fans, not in the coaching staff. Uh, like I just said, you know, Sean is firmly entrenched in the start as the starter. He hasn't done anything to lose this job as exciting as Drew is. He is not going to be starting over Sean Clifford as long as Sean is performing at least as well as he has been these first two weeks. You know, as if he starts throwing a bunch of interceptions, like we start seeing the offense sputtering in key moments, especially early on in uh, the first and second half against like Auburn and against like maybe some Big Ten opponents. Maybe we'll start to see that. Uh, maybe we'll start to see that talk start to pop up a bit more. But as it is right now, I'm going to say non-existent. I'm going to say Penn State's quarterback controversy is heating up. 
I think that if we get down by two touchdowns or more and the offense just is not moving down the field, I think you could see a quarterback switch because I think that even though Shang might be the better player right now, I think because of Alar's ability to move in the pocket when he's getting pressured and keep his eyes down the field and having that elite arm strength throwing on the run, I think that the leash is actually getting shorter. And I think that this quarterback controversy is heating up. So I think there's potential that if things don't go well, you could see a lot of Drew Alar next week. Speaking of freshmen, here's our next one. Nick Singleton looks. Amazing. You know, I, I cannot stop raving about this guy. I mean, I do have a couple of notes about him here as well. Um, you know, I think the best way to just kind of put into perspective what he already means for Penn State is the fact that he reached milestones that as a Penn State running back that haven't been seen since Larry Johnson. Like we're talking about stuff that not even Saquon accomplished. And so here's a couple of little tidbits for you. So Nick Singleton rushed three times for over 40 yards that hasn't been done since Larry Johnson rushed for 40 plus yards four times against Indiana back when Larry Johnson was a Nittany lion, his 179 yards rushing were the most of any Penn state running back in their Beaver stadium debut. And I think that, you know, Penn state since Saquon has really been looking for that home run rushing uh, threat And I think that they found it in Nick because, uh, you know, say what you will about the level of competition in Ohio. We talked about this during our pregame pod. Uh, A lot of the guys on that Ohio defense were redshirt seniors or seniors. So there's a ton of experience across that whole unit. And Nick Singleton ran by them like they were standing still. So I think he has a ton of promise. Uh, Just like Drew, uh, there were there was a ton of hype around him. And I think he's really living up to it. Yeah, I think those are all great points. I was really impressed when I saw that he broke Saquon's uh, Beaver Stadium debut record. So I was very impressed. My word for Nick Singleton is that he looks Sanders-esque. I almost said Saquon-esque, but here's why I said Miles Sanders. He likes to bounce it outside a lot, I've noticed, at least in this past game. And He was like on that right sideline all game. He was running right in front of us three times going to the north end zone. And that was just awesome. However, I didn't see as much uh, movement between the tackles and whatnot. So I'm not going to give him the the Saquon-esque comparison yet. But I will give him the Sanders-esque comparison. All right, next one. The wide receiver core is... Solid. You know, I think that they're they're proving to be pretty solid and pretty deep. Uh, we saw 17 pass catchers catch a ball this uh, during this game against Ohio. Just to put into perspective how much distribution that is, there were only 15 players from Penn State who caught a pass all last season. So within one game uh, against Ohio, Penn State surpassed that number, you know, Everybody got involved in the in the receiving game. I mean, we saw freshmen like uh, Omari Evans, uh, Khalil Dinkins, Caden Saunders get get uh, get a catch. So you know, really getting a lot of these young guys reps. And so I think uh, they proved themselves to be pretty capable. Um, you know, up and down the depth chart. I don't think that we saw really many drops. Uh, it seemed like Parker Washington had a much more effective game this time around, which, I mean, again, level of competition and all that. But I think overall, this is, uh, you know, a, a unit that is uh, pretty solid overall. And so I think they can uh, hopefully, you know, continue to maximize their opportunities downfield. Yeah, those are some great stats. As uh, Parker Washington led the way, he was four for four for around 60 yards. But it's just, that's a crazy stat that we had 17 players in one game compared to 15 all of last season. That's good for, you know, several different reasons. Uh, My word, which you kind of said was the wide receiver core is deep. We were watching that game and we were like, who's this guy? Like I was asking, who's this guy? Like, because they were so far down the depth chart, but they are still really successful and very effective against Ohio. So not only does that make you feel a little bit better if a guy goes down with injury, 
but it gives you excitement about the future. And then also you're just happy for those players. Those players work just as hard in practice as everybody else. They just don't get to play as much. And it's really great to see them be able to shine with the opportunities that they've been given. Yep, 100% agree. The defensive line has been... Good enough. You know, I'll say good enough because, uh, you know, we saw, we were talking about this uh, right before recording, but uh, it seemed like they were getting more pressure on the quarterback against Ohio than they were against Purdue. So I think that's a sign in the positive direction, but still really weren't, uh, you know, capitalizing on those with sacks. So I'd love to see more sacks from this talented defensive line, especially from some, uh, you know, highly touted defensive ends and like Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson and others. So I think that, you know, they, uh, similar to, you know, my thoughts on the offensive line, I think they've been, uh, they've been good enough so far, but I think, you know, when you start to come against the likes of Ohio state who have just an absolute wall of an offensive line, like you need to see those guys, uh, start to step it up a little bit more. Yeah, I think the defensive line has been underwhelming. I've been I was expecting bigger things from them going into the season, especially in a contest against Ohio State, which is just not the level of competition that we're going to going to see in the upcoming weeks. So I was hoping to see them look dominant at points. Uh even against Purdue, I wanted them to look dominant and that just didn't happen. Uh, even though you know, you convinced me that uh, that was going to be a big mismatch week one. Uh, I, I, re- I was really looking forward to that, and it's kind of haven't seen it unfold. So I, I think they've been underwhelming. And if they don't start meeting the expectations that we have for them, they're probably not going to get many big wins this year. Yeah, I mean, I'll absolutely admit that this uh, this, you know, production hasn't manifested in the way that I thought it would pretty early on. Uh, but I think we're going to see, you know, pretty quickly in the meat of this season, uh, what kind of success Penn state is going to have defensively because so much of it hinges on that defensive line to, you know, help out with the pass rush and to get the quarterback on the ground. So, uh, they're truly a linchpin. Yeah. Next one. The linebacker core has been. Meh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that a word? Just meh. Uh, you know, they uh, allow it. They got all right. Cool. It's my segment. I <laughs> yeah, can do I'm, what I want. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But yeah, you know, I, I they got they got ran all over by uh, Doru King at Purdue. Uh, the only touchdown that Penn State let up in this game against Ohio was on the ground, and we kind of thought that might be the case with uh, C.A. Bangora as the leading rusher for a talented Ohio uh, rushing attack. So I think. You know, kind of similar to a lot of the other position, a lot of the other position groups. As I'm, you know, hearing myself talk about this, just seems like they've been good enough. You know, not uh, overwhelming in terms of like amazing plays and stuff like that. Uh, Curtis Jacobs looks solid. I'm glad to see that we were able to get Abdul Carter and some other young guys some reps at those uh, positions. Uh, we heard um, Kobe King's name heard a couple of times in Beaver Stadium, which is pretty cool because we talked about getting him on the field with his brother. So all in all, I just think that, you know, right now they're, they're, you know, some guys out there just uh, playing those positions, uh, you know, not to put too dull of a point on this, but yeah, I'll just say meh. Oh, I think, I think the linebacker core has been productive. That's the word I would use. I feel like they do enough to get the job done. And especially with all those departures to the NFL this past year, I thought they they would take a step back, but I think they've been playing pretty well for all the guys they've they've been losing, and I I think they're stepping up to the plate as they should be. Cool. The defensive backs are pretty good. You know, I I uh, I say pretty good, and I know that's uh, technically two words, but I'm gonna truncate that into one as pretty good. But uh, yeah, they've. Uh, I think they've been the strength of the Penn State defense so far. I mean, a- as much success like Charlie Jones and a couple of the other uh, Purdue receivers had. I mean, did you see the absolute smackdown that they laid on Indiana State this week? I mean, they were uh, lit just absolutely right. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking about just an absolute clinic of a passing game for Purdue, and 
you know, it was a duel between the defensive backs of Penn State and the receivers of Purdue. And I think the fact that it was as close as it was kind of dulled Penn State fans' perception of the defensive backs. But overall, they've been pretty solid, I think. Um, This was another uh, scenario where we saw uh, some guys pretty deep in the depth chart see some time uh, on the field. Joey Porter wasn't in most of the game this time around. And most people just assume that it's because we didn't need him. But so I think it's great that we got some young guys reps, but even as we were bringing in guys at like the three deep or four deep at certain spots, um, really didn't see much of a passing threat from Ohio. So I think, uh, they're, they're pretty good overall. Yeah. The word I'm going to use is I think the defensive backs are elite or pretty close to elite. I uh, couldn't think of a word like one step below elite, but I think they're they're right, right around there. Uh, they only allowed 164 pass yards. When you look at Purdue versus Indiana State, the Sycamores got lit, lit up for 56 points. So I, I, I think this is the biggest strength of the team, and I think they're going to need to carry us in some contests, especially since stopping the run is not our strength. I think if we can put extra guys in the box and they're capable on their islands and they're able to keep everything in front of them, I think they might be able to sneak away some wins against some big competition if they are elite. Cool. Yeah, I uh, definitely hope you're right. It would be great to see a couple of, uh, you know, skin of our teeth wins because of uh, some big plays from the DBs. All right, next one. Barney Amore is awesome. Yeah, man, I, I love it. I Just give me amazing punting all day long because like we've mentioned in this podcast previously, like we've been through some very subpar punting performances in the past. And I think that really just helps you appreciate good punting when you see it. And especially because, you know, Penn State does have this defense that is trying to find itself a little bit. Um, kind of at the defensive line and at the linebacker position. So the fact that Barney can flip the field like he has been in these first two games is awesome. Uh, you know, we relied very heavily on Jordan Stout to kind of be a staple in the special teams game over the past couple of years. So the fact that we have uh, some new guys stepping up uh, to take over that punting and kicking is just, uh, it's a nice comfort. Yeah, I think the word I'm going to use is Barney Moore is worthy. Uh, It was kind of news a week before the season that, hey, he's getting a full scholarship and he's definitely lived up to the hype and shows that he deserves it just about more than anyone on that team. You could argue that he's one of their top three or four or five players. He's he's for what he does at his position. So I've, I've been really impressed by him and definitely he's like the bright point on the special teams unit. Speaking of special teams, Jake Pinnegar makes you feel. Okay. You know, I, I say okay because it's one game. You know, college kickers, they they miss a few kicks every now and then. I mean, the whole fan base was ready to dump Sam Ficken in a dumpster, uh, you know, when he first started out at his time at Penn State. And I know we always use him as like the kicker example of reasons why to stick with a guy, but that's because he is the shining example. You know, he completely turned around his career at Penn State to become just Mr. Reliable. You know, towards his towards the end of his time, um, we would always turn to him to be the one to put the points on the board. So, you know, not to say that Jake Pinnegar is all of a sudden going to turn into Sam Ficken, Mr. Automatic, but... Uh, I don't think that one game is uh, reasons to, you know, all of a sudden jump ship and say we need to replace the kicker. What about you? Jake Penninger makes me feel anxious. Uh, sometimes he's very good. Sometimes he's not great. He's the definition of inconsistent. So uh, why I think he's probably their best option uh, it does still make me anxious, especially when we're going to have a big game coming up in Auburn on the road in the big house at home versus Ohio state. When you're playing those level of teams, you need everything to go right. Um, Special teams can lose you games. You you see it all the time in college football. LSU is a great example where they couldn't, they had their PAT blocked. So you need to make everything go right at this level of competition. 
So that is why Jake Pinnegar and I guess I'll say and the special teams unit makes me feel anxious. All yeah, right. good points. I think that's I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah. Coach Franklin's performance this year has been B plus. You know, I, I don't think it's been perfect, but it's been pretty good all things considered. I mean, Penn State is now a ranked team. Granted, you know, had a couple of losses help them out along the way, but they got the job done uh, in the end in a weird night road game against a really tricky opponent, tough atmosphere and all that. So, um, and like I said earlier, the fact that we had such a stress-free game where Penn State just did pretty much everything right against a Mac opponent, like that can't be overlooked because we could be Notre Dame or Texas A&M right now, but we're not. And I, so I think Franklin's been doing a pretty good job. I'm not going to say a plus because, you know, if, if we just like absolutely blew uh, Purdue out of the water and maybe we had like a couple more points uh, against Ohio I'd probably say like get into the A territory but I'm gonna be uh, conservative and say B plus for now also say coach Franklin's performance this year has been great so if I'm going on the grading scale like you are I'm I'm saying more of the a minus I don't think he's done anything wrong there haven't really been decisions where we're like why are you doing that that doesn't make any sense I thought I think the play calling has been a lot better this year. The decisions that he's making make more sense. For example, when Joey Porter doesn't catch an interception, there's not much Coach Franklin can do about that and things like that. Or you know, the field goal missing a field goal, not nothing Franklin can do about that besides putting in different players. Uh, so overall, I think like he's done all the right things this year for Penn State to be successful. So I think so far it could change, but. Coach Franklin's performance this year has been great. Cool. Good notes. Penn State fans should feel good. You know, I'll say good. I mean, we're we're two and zero. We're ranked. Uh, you know, this is kind of the opposite trend that we've seen in a couple of years past. I mean, in twenty twenty, we started the year ranked number eight and ended up losing bowl game unranked to finish the season. So. You know, obviously there's a, a lot of tests still ahead for this Penn State team. Uh, so we'll truly see what this team is made of. But so far, Penn State fans should feel good. I mean, uh, how can you not feel good when we have such legitimate young talent on this team that is going to lead Penn State into the future? I mean, you, you saw flashes of what's going to be possible for this offense down the stretch. And, uh, you know, we were talking about so much depth at uh, different defensive positions so I think the stage is really set uh maybe not this year because I I mean they still have the likes of like Ohio State and Michigan to contend with but think about like what the expectations are going to be like in uh like a year or two and I and that's not even to say that they should give up on this season because Penn State's shown itself to be a competent team so far a deep team so we're gonna see you know probably by like game six or seven like what the rest of the season is probably going to look like uh but for now i think we should feel good i think that penn state fans should feel grateful i felt that we did get lucky to escape purdue with a win i'm grateful that coach franklin hasn't done any head scratching things that makes you wonder what's going on i'm grateful that they played to they're close to their potential against Ohio. They never made you feel like, oh, this might be a close call or a dogfight. We all felt comfortable in that game. We should be grateful that Drew Allard didn't enter the transfer portal when Clifford stayed for his sixth year and is named the starting quarterback. He's here sticking it out. We had beautiful weather until we left the tailgate. And then today has been been all rainy. So I feel grateful that we had good weather for our first tailgate. So right now I feel grateful. It's all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, That very well could change on a week-to-week basis. But right now I think Penn State fans should feel grateful. Awesome. Well said. All right. I think this this will be fun. I think we'll have different opinions on this next uh, question. Penn State should be ranked blank in the country 22 you know i'll say they they should be ranked exactly where they are i mean i you know you can argue the merits of these two wins but at the same time like 
somebody has to be ranked like there, like some some teams have to be ranked and uh you know we saw a couple of big losses by top 10 teams but also some teams that were ranked uh you know in the 19 to 25 spot like we said in houston and wisconsin so you know it's like you can uh argue like how strong those two wins are but at the end of the day like they have to vote somebody in right so i'm gonna say you know you know if i had to put a range to it i'd probably say like probably about like 22 to 25 but yeah that's a great team. what about you what do you think i think they should be honorable mention so i don't think they should be in the top 25 yet even though i thought they kind of looked like a ranked team against ohio i think they should just be in that maybe five teams with votes just outside the top 25 but I think if they get the job done in Auburn next week, without a doubt, for me, they're they're top twenty. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And like I said, you could either you could go either way as as a fan, especially if you're not a fan of Penn State. But I guess a question that I have in response to that is, who would you put in the AP poll ahead of them? In the AP poll ahead of them, I'll pull it up here. Yeah, like wh- who are some teams that aren't ranked that you think should be ranked in place of Penn State? I think. Minnesota is one that I think has been a little more dominant against their opponents. But, but who have they played? Who do they play? Well, I they haven't played anyone, but they've been dominant. So for exactly, me, <laughs> we have Vince. We have a road win against a conference opponent in a weird Thursday night game that means something. I know it means something, but I'm basing it more off of last year. And six losses and the year before that, you know, having a losing season for the first time in a long time. So for me, I'm just not there yet. I could be, but not not there quite yet. Yeah, so I think those are some good points. So it seems like you're more in the camp of like the confirmation bias for Penn State is gone. And now they kind of have to prove it to you again that they deserve to be ranked. Yeah, for me, that's what it's going to take. Plus, watching Penn State football, we seem to do better when we're an underdog versus the high expectations. So I would like to be unranked. That way the players are just that little bit hungrier to win. I think that Auburn's going to be a very tough environment to play in. So I think if they can get through that game and get a win, they definitely deserve to be ranked. And I would even go as high as top 20 in my book, if they can get out of there with the W. Penn State is the blank best team in the Big Ten. Man, this is a tough one. I'm going to say fifth for right now. Um, I'm saying fifth because I think within its own conference or within its own division, Penn State is the fourth best team right now. Because I think it's easy to say that Ohio State and Michigan are leagues ahead of them. And I think Michigan State has proven themselves to be uh, a better team than Penn State so far this season. And I think that uh, Minnesota, honestly, probably looks like it's fighting for that fourth spot as, you know, ahead of Penn State here so far. Um, that white, that night whiteout game, or at least I think it's going to be a night game. Uh, I think that's going to be... Um, yeah, but it's a 7.30 a good- kickoff. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I think that game is going to be a pretty good indicator of how Penn State stacks up to the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, But for now, I'll kind of put Penn State and Minnesota at kind of that four slash five spot, but I'll give Minnesota the edge so far. I think it's funny that you disagreed with me on the ranking and I was like, Minnesota should be ranked over Penn State. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. But let me let me defend my stance here real quick. Uh, the rankings are not an indicator of like who is the best team because we because you have Texas almost take out Alabama like that was a fluke. That was absolutely a fluke. Texas is nowhere near talented as Alabama. They lost that game, and now they are ranked in the teens. So, do you I'm think Penn State of, could put up a performance like that in Beaver Stadium against Bama? You know why not? I like we saw like insane things. We saw teams get paid collectively millions of dollars to come and beat 
top 10 teams this weekend. So do I think that the chances of that happening are extremely slim? Like, yes, totally. But this is college football. Like crazy things happen. We just saw it happen with a couple of Sunbelt teams beating some blue bloods. So yeah, you know, I, I think it's totally possible, but you know, who knows? Yeah, you could argue that App State should also be ahead of them. I don't think they're ranked in the new rankings. And they just won in College Station at Texas A&M. They had a that crazy close shootout game with North Carolina. So I right. think you could put them up there as a ranked team. And then Cincinnati lost a close game to Arkansas, which we did not hang with last year. That's another team you could argue. So... A lot of room for debate in that 20 to 30 range. And I think they're just on the outside looking in, in my opinion. So I'll, I'll agree with you on the fifth. I, I definitely think that Michigan and Ohio State are light years above us right now. Michigan State, I think they're playing great out of the gate right now. So I think they're above us. And then also I'll say Minnesota too. I don't think Minnesota is going to win in a whiteout atmosphere i don't think they're that much better than penn state the only reason i said that is because i think they're more of a physical ground and pound team and i think that could give penn state a hard time i just think that's the biggest area where they struggle in the trenches and if they can get better in that area they're going to be scary going forward all right last question for you in this segment penn state fans should feel blank going into auburn next week Cautious. You know, I think um, a lot of fans probably feel good about a win next weekend. Um, You know, if Auburn was blowing teams out to the degree that it was last season when they came into Beaver Stadium, I think a lot of us would feel uh, pretty much like the game is going to be decided by like a coin flip, you know, you could decide who wins that game on a coin flip. But uh, just given the fact that they've struggled a little bit um, in their opening two games, this most recent one against San Jose State. I think Penn State fans are feeling uh, confident about its team's chances going in. But, you know, as you kind of uh, mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes being ranked doesn't always uh, translate to uh, strong performances for Penn State. So I myself am cautious about uh, what to think about this game going into it. Uh, And I think that that's a, you know, in my mind, that's a good word to apply to what, you know, the, the fan base overall should probably be feeling. Yeah, I think that's a good word. I would I would say nervous for me because that's how I feel about them going to Auburn next week. Now, they only beat San Jose State 16 to 24. But last year in Beaver Stadium, I definitely felt like we were lucky to get away with that win because they were just running the ball down our throat and we could not stop them. And I think they're going to take a mental note of that from last year going into this game. And they'll have, you know, the fans backing them up. Everyone's going to want revenge. Auburn seems to get up for the big opponent. They're not always consistent, but when a big opponent like Alabama goes into their stadium, they always seem to up their game and are ready to play. And you have like the, field goal kick that they took back for a touchdown the kick six like that was a crazy thing that happened there so i just feel like they almost have sort of a black magic kind of like a kinnick stadium down there so that's why i feel nervous going into auburn next week and we'll get more into that in our next pod too yeah, I think that's I do think that's fair to say though and Brian Harson head coach of the Tigers said after their game against San Jose State that he's uh He's not worried about kind of a hangover effect going into this game against Penn State because uh, in his words, you know, the players are going to put this out of their minds. They're going to go back to practice and things like that. So I think uh, that lines up pretty well with what you just said. You know, they're they're going to view this as like a new week, a new game. And so they're going to come ready to play. Yeah, that's great. How did you like the segment I brought and surprised you with? Dude, this was fun. I, I really like this this format. I think this works really good for uh, post game because we're not just kind of going through the X's and O's of like the team. So I thought I thought this was great. Yeah, I thought this would be a good mix up with the Ohio being such a big win and not as much to talk about. So I thought this was a good exercise to do. Moving on, who's your bird brawler? 
Oh man, yeah. So we're uh, we're getting into our players of the game now. So uh, if you didn't catch our Purdue post game recap, so uh, the players of the game for our podcast, we have affectionately called the Bird Brawler and the Fidali Fighter. So you know, just kind of uh, attaching a label to guys who we think deserve to be recognized. So for this week, my Bird Brawler is Nick Singleton. And I know that that's uh, that's a pretty obvious pick for any Penn State fan right now, but I just could not be more impressed with you know what he's brought to the table already. Um, you know, I think he's really shown that the learning curve for him at the position is already very short. He truly just exploded onto the scene in this game against Ohio. Did some things that Penn State fans haven't seen in almost two decades. Uh, so I don't think that that can really be overlooked. I think that he's going to be a household name by the time that this season is over. Um, you know, knock on wood, but I think he's going to be kind of in the conversation of like, you know, top player in the Big Ten slash Heisman candidate sort of deal, uh, maybe next year or the year after that. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Um, and he just did it really in a statement kind of way in this game against Ohio State or in this game against Ohio. So Vince, who is your Fidali fighter for this win against Ohio? I had a lot of great candidates in this game. I thought both Sean Clifford and Drew Alar played around that level. So I felt kind of bad giving an award to one and not the other. So that both of them impressed me a lot. A lot of good defensive players. I was impressed with Curtis Jacobs performance. He had a lot of tackles, was in coverage today all over the field. He looked good. I like that Chop Robinson seemed to be getting in the backfield and bringing on a little bit of pressure, which is something that we've been looking for. But the guy I'm going to go with, cornerback Johnny Dixon. He had two solo tackles. Both were big plays, tackle for losses. And he also had the lone sack of the game on the corner blitz. So I was impressed with that. He made some big plays to help the Nittany Lions have a stress-free victory for the fans for us. So uh, he gets my finale fighter in this game. Good stuff. Yeah, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of expectations placed on Johnny during the rest of the season, uh, lining up alongside Joey Porter, just kind of hoping that he's going to provide that lockdown pass defense uh, that we're hoping for from Penn State. So I think Johnny, is uh, he's absolutely a worthy winner of the award this week. Agreed. What were some other games that you enjoyed watching this weekend besides the Penn State game? Man, I I mean, honestly, it's it's hard to even pin down what was exciting or entertaining to watch in college football because it seemed like all of it was entertaining. Um, I caught a little bit of Kentucky, Florida, so I got to see Will Levis go to work against uh, the Florida Gators, and they came out of that uh, ranked win in uh, in the swamp. I think I saw that Kentucky is now ranked number nine, so Will Levis is now at the helm of a top ten team. Um, so I thought that was a pretty impressive win. Uh, but I got to say, honestly, the most entertaining game that I saw outside of uh, Penn State since we were um, like tailgating and stuff was probably Georgia Southern and Nebraska. <laughs> and uh, for anybody who saw this game, I mean, I don't th- know if I've ever seen uh, a fan base on TV in just stunned silence after the conclusion of a game because it just seemed like the fourth quarter towards the end was a whirlwind because Nebraska came out in front, then Georgia Southern stormed back down the field and got the go-ahead touchdown, and then Nebraska was kind of flirting with uh, being able to tie up the game to go into overtime. And I mean, it just it was just absolutely incredible. It was an incredible game to watch just from an outside fans perspective, but just knowing like how much heat there already was on Scott Frost going into it. And the fact that this is how it played out. And uh, we do know now that Scott Frost uh, was relieved of his duty. So, I mean, it's just, it's insane to think that Georgia Southern was the final nail in that coffin. So yeah, that's just a lot of crazy football this weekend. What was on your television, Vince? Yeah, it's crazy to think that Scott Frost got fired game two into the season this early and that they didn't really give him a chance to turn it around. But last year, a lot of close losses. They just can't seem to get over the hump. So I'm sure there's a lot of Nebraska fans out there that are happy for a new guy and just to get a clean slate and start over. You want to know what's crazy, though, about the timing of Scott Frost's firing is that he like his buyout drops 
would have dropped dramatically if he had survived to October 1st. But because he was fired before that cutoff, he's owed something like $7 million by Nebraska. Wow. Yeah. Like that's how much they wanted to fire him. Like they said, screw the $7 million, get this guy out of here. Man, I wish I could have $7 million to not work. That would be awesome. Yeah, I agree. That would be pretty sweet. I'm really shocked that in your top games, you didn't have Pitt losing to Tennessee in overtime. How did that not make your list? Well, it's only because I, I wasn't able to watch the game live. <laughs> I was uh, following the the score live on the drive home, so I was uh, I was happy with the end result. Obviously, it looked like a very entertaining game towards the end. I was able to catch some of the highlights, but yeah, it only it didn't make my list only for the reason that I, I wasn't able to watch it. Well, I certainly enjoyed watching that. I, I had a good time catching the end of that game. You got to see. Pat Narduzzi complain a little bit more about about calls and arguing the uh, the merits of, of of a receiver getting pushed out of bounds versus him going out of bounds uh, of his own free will. You know that's always fun. Oh, something I thought was funny about that game is when the the like commentators were like, "Oh, he was clearly pushed out," and then like going into half, like Narduzzi like was talking about the challenge, be like, "Oh, he just ran out of bounds." I'm like what is this guy talking about? Like you're the football coach. You should know the roles better than the analyst. And well, dude, I mean, it's like I said last week, it's just do your coach speech and move on. Like you, you gotta be able to compartmentalize these things. Like if you're a football coach, like you're gonna get raw deals from the refs, you know, whether it was the right call or not, which I mean, most people watching or commentating on the game thought that it was the right call. And so it's just like, dude, like you got another 30 minutes of football to play. Just get into the, get into the locker room, coach your guys up, come out ready to play. Cause you had some good moments in that first half. Uh, so like focus on building off of that versus brooding on past calls. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll agree with you there. And uh, coach K the basketball coach at Duke who recently retired, he said to win by two, you got to be better by 10. So he, he tells his players that, that, hey, some things are going to go wrong. It's basketball. The refs aren't perfect. But he said to win by two, you got to play better by 10. So that's the approach I always took as an athlete, like going into any competition. I was like, okay, I need to be dominant so I don't have to rely on like calls going my way or anything of that nature. So I think that's the better mindset, the Coach K, not the Pat Narduzzi mindset. Awesome. Yeah, getting some... Uh... True blue wisdom uh, from one of the best coaching minds out there. Uh, do you want to cover the rest of the Big Ten games so everyone else knows what's going on around the Big Ten? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we'll start off with the Big Ten West. We talked about Nebraska losing a close one at home to Georgia Southern, 45-42. to Illinois had a big win at home over Virginia, 24-3. to Iowa, you were you were optimistic about them winning this one, but they lost ten to seven in Kinnick to Iowa State in the Corn Bowl. Yeah, dude, I uh, I truly thought. I mean, this is the game that Iowa wins. Like Iowa shows up to to beat Iowa State, and I didn't think that that would be different this year. Uh, you know, we heard personally from an Iowa fan at our tailgate that, uh, you know, he thought that Spencer Petrus should be removed from the quarterback position. Um, Judging from the reaction on Twitter, it seems like there's a lot of Iowa fans out there that kind of feel the same way that, uh, you know, certain decisions as far as personnel and play calling and stuff like that have kind of contributed to uh, some lack of production on the offensive side. So it's uh, it might be interesting to see how that situation plays itself out. I mean, as long as Kirk Ferentz is the coach, I think you're going to see a lot of stability, uh, both with starting players as well as coaching staff and stuff like that, because that's just how he rolls. You know, he's the model of uh, kind of rock solid in a way. So uh, yeah, I mean, I was surprised at the the final score of this thing. Um, I think that their defense is still legit as uh, our Iowa fan friend had mentioned. It's just, they weren't able to put enough points on the board. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Honestly, this is exactly what I expected out of the corn bowl. Like I was expecting seven points for Iowa after they didn't, put up a touchdown in the first game. I'm like, they're probably going to put up like seven points and their defense is like really good, but I don't think they're going to hold Iowa state to like under seven. So I, this, this game went exactly how I thought it was going to go head, heading into week two. 
Moving on, uh, Purdue played the Indiana State Sycamores. What famous basketball player went there? That's uh, Larry Bird, correct? You got it. I'm impressed. I'm getting you ready for basketball season when we cover uh, uh, the men's basketball team as well and Coach Shrewsbury awesome. and his Indiana connections. But yeah, they, they ran the floor with them 56 nothing, which makes me feel even better about Penn State's win at Purdue. Washington State came in and upset the Badgers and Madison. They beat them 17-14 in a close game. Northwestern lost a tough one at home. They lost to Duke 31-23. And then Minnesota steamrolled Western Illinois 62-10. So that was the Big Ten West, the lesser of the divisions. Your Big Ten East is still undefeated, headed into week two. Uh, Michigan just annihilated Hawaii in the big house after that long delay. They beat them 56-10. Indiana had a win over Idaho, 35-22. Michigan State romped Akron, 52 to nothing, and pitched a shutout. Even Rutgers had a big game, 66-7 over Wagner. Maryland had a nice win on the road, 56-21 over Charlotte. And then, of course, Ohio State doing Ohio State things. They beat Arkansas State 45-12. Probably still a little banged up from the Notre Dame game from the previous week, but they took care of business like usual. Uh, any takeaways from other uh, any of the other Big Ten games? Nope, no other thoughts. I thought everything kind of went according to script. Yeah, that's how, how I expected most things to play out, too. But pretty happy that the Big Ten East is undefeated because if we get wins in the division, that makes us look better going into the college football playoff when they're trying to pick their four teams. Yeah, that is uh, that's very true. All right. So uh, anything else that you want to discuss before we wrap up here? Nope. I'm just really excited that we had a. Great time tailgating. Uh, what was your favorite thing at the tailgate? Oh man, that's uh, that's a tough one too. I honestly, I'd probably have to say the buffalo chicken dip. That's always it's always fire. Yeah, I think that's that was my favorite thing as well. Like you can't go wrong with buffalo chicken dip. It's just one of the best tailgate foods that you're you're gonna get any any time of the year. It's never a bad option. Absolutely. Well, folks, we would like to thank you for listening today. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoy the pod, please leave a five-star review so that other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that we are... The Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time.